Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, if you are not familiar with GS441, uh, how it is being used by some doctors to treat FIP uh, and other doctors to treat Ebola and other doctors to treat COVID, uh, you're in for a treat because this is a heck of a story. Guys, I have the one and only Dr. Julie Levy uh, in to fill me in on all the details. Is there really a black label treatment for FIB? And uh, and what does that mean for cats today? Gang, let's get into this. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Julie Levy. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad to be here, Andy. It's great to see you again. It's great to see you. You were uh, you were a mentor of mine in veterinary school. Uh, first, I give you give your bona fides for anyone who does not know you. You are a distinguished professor of shelter medicine at the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine. You are also the founder of Operation Catnip which is an incredible program that I'm going to talk about in a second because it had a huge impact on me as a, uh, as a student. And then you were also very involved in, uh, in Maddie's shelter medicine program. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's some of the places that I know you from. Uh, let me just harp on Operation Catnip for a second. Uh, you, fun- you, you founded this, and it is an opportunity for veterinary students uh, at the University of Florida to come in and do good in the world by uh, doing space and neuters on trapped and feral cats, uh, a TNR program. And I will tell you, for me, I had so much surgical experience when I graduated from vet school compared to most veterinary students because of you and because of what you did. And also, I felt damn good about myself and the work that I got to do for you. And so I just want to start by saying thank you for that. Thank you so much, Andy. Our students definitely benefit from that training. Last year, they did 3,700 surgeries. These are extracurricular surgeries outside of the vet school curriculum. So it's actually the number one source of surgery experience our students get. Yeah. As, anyway, it's an amazing program. I, I, I love it. I still uh, think think very, very fondly of it. I want to talk to you about something very different today, though. Um, I went to the VMX conference in Orlando in January. And when I was there, I heard this bonkers story about a drug called GS441 that is supposed to actually cure FIP. However, it is not uh, available in the United States and um, people are going to great lengths to get this and pet owners are using social media groups and things like that to get off-label, black-label versions of this drug into treat their cats. And veterinarians uh, think that it works and are trying to support, but also uh, are very, very worried about getting in trouble. And there's been some strong messaging from uh, state VMAs that you do not mess with this stuff at all. I, I, can you just l- tell me the story and, and help me understand where, what, what, is, what is this? What is real? And where are we? Sure. It is a fascinating story. Uh, unprecedented, I think, in veterinary medicine. To start with, FIP is a fatal viral disease of cats. It usually strikes kittens and cats less than two years old, so cats in the prime of their life. Mm-hmm. And when we diagnose it, uh, we we get 
a very uh, strong feeling of sadness that comes across us when we have to tell an owner that their cat will probably die within a few weeks. And there's little we can do. Yeah, it's awful. It's a tear. I I dread having to tell people their cat has FIP. It is the stuff of nightmares. I hate it. And we so in the past, we've had to give this bad news. And sometimes we give some medication to make them feel better for their last weeks. But it was never considered a curable disease. And then several years ago, researcher Dr. Niels Peterson, one of my professors at UC Davis, discovered a group of antiviral particles that actually cure cats of FIP. All of us were skeptical because we never expected to see that in our lifetime, but it proved to be true. They did lab studies and then they did studies in naturally infected cats. The studies were with a drug called remdesivir, which is a drug that was under development for Ebola and other viruses in people. And it was tested in cats and was very effective. Unfortunately, the drug company is not interested in in making that drug available and pursuing licenses for use in pets. So it currently is, um, until recently, was illegal to use in the United States. However, word got out with uh, cat owners and cat veterinarians and others that there was a drug that that worked. Mm-hmm. What this did was led these very motivated cat owners to look to other sources of the drug. And where they found it was China. There are these shady companies in, in China that will produce chemicals upon request. And so these poor cat owners were left with sending money to China to get injectable drugs back that weren't labeled, were not quality controlled, um, and yet held the promise of life-saving medication. So, okay, so in, injectable drugs. I mean, are, without getting too deep into into the mechanism or how, or how these things are used, I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, are we talking about intravenous drug treatments that, pe- that pet owners are doing? I mean, uh, subcutaneous sort of injections? Just a general idea of, of, of what that's like when the pet owner gets these this yeah. medication. So um, they often will get an unlabeled vial in the mail that um, someone has attempted to evade the customs service to get into the country from China. And they are to give it subcutaneously uh, once a day for 84 days. And one of the problems with the drug is it actually burns. It's a painful injection to give. And sometimes it can cause sores on the cat. So it is not a, a light undertaking. But after 84 days, there's then an observation period for another 84 days. And if the cats appear healthy, then they're considered cured. And from what we've seen following cats for a few years of treatment, it appears they are. It appears that the vast majority of cats, even the ones at death's door at the time of treatment, respond to this treatment. Wow, okay. Um, so, so 84 days of treatment, 84 days of monitoring, Pet owners are finding this sort of coming in, uh, coming in from China in unlabeled, in unlabeled vials. What what are the um what I guess uh, what is the general position of feline veterinarians looking at this? I mean, uh, I when I first sort of heard about it, I reached out to to a couple of feline practitioners that I know, and they they sort of pointed to you as as sort of a leading expert uh, in, in this area. But uh, they all seem to to be very aware of of the drug and and of its properties. And um, there were sort of two schools of thought that I that I ran into. One was I just I, it's too scary for me to touch this, and the mm-hmm. other one was 
I've got three dozen cats that have been treated <laughs> and then things are there and this it is is amazing i yeah what what are the what are the thoughts on, on feline practitioners uh just just as far as the restrictions and their inability to use this yeah uh, so huge topic uh, across i'm in internal medicine discussion groups we're talking about it there internationally the feline discussion groups the shelter medicine discussion groups everybody is aware of this and trying to struggle through the landscape and in some ways, this really is reminiscent of the early days of HIV in the early 80s. I'm old enough to remember that when AZT first became available and it was clear that it saved patients with AIDS and yet it wasn't available through the regulatory system. And so patients made up their own networks of uh, acquisition and, and saved themselves. Uh, bef long before the FDA approved the drug and it became available. This is the same thing that's happening now for cats, is cat owners are getting together with people who've been it be through it before to be coached through it mm -hmm. and to put their hands on drugs that are proven to be reliable. These groups have figured out which sources are reliable and um, told how to fundraise for it because the, the, it's very expensive and how to give it. And, and so there's that side of kind of citizen medicine that's happening very effectively outside of the normal drug pipeline. And then there's the veterinarians who are trying to see how they can generally support and not overstep. And so usually yeah. what they will do is diagnose, monitor cats with blood work, and maybe see, teach someone how to give injections. But the, the veterinarians will not buy it, order it, prescribe it. Um, but they they provide the background support, and they'll usually point people to the organization that supports the cat owners, and that is a group called FIP Warriors. Mm. Anybody can find them on the internet. They have a web page, they have a Facebook group, and the process for getting involved is reaching out through the Facebook group, and then they'll be paired up with an advisor. And most veterinarians that I know just do that. They just say, "Hey, there's a group over here." They might be able to help. <laughs> Let me know what I can do. And it's, it is, everyone's so excited to have a cure for FIP. The veterinarians are very enthusiastic about this for the most part. We've been teaching it to our veterinary students for the last two years that this yeah. is the approach they can take. So it's starting to percolate up into practitioners. And certainly the cat practitioners are way ahead uh, because they're tired of euthanizing cats with FIP too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was actually part of the thing that caught my attention as well. I was at a vet student who was like, "Yeah, we learned about this thing." Uh, so you send them to a Facebook group, and this is and I was like, "What?" what? They're like, "Yeah, this is what." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, "I was like, this is wow, okay." Uh, and so yeah, that, that all of this came together as I was. I have to, I have to learn more about this. Um, I think one thing that you'll notice is vets have been super scared because until recently, it, it really has been kind of a black market situation. Yeah. And, and so you haven't seen this at the national conferences. Everybody's just been like hands off. We're in it. We don't know what to do with this. But this year, there's going to be FIP panels at every national veterinary conference. It is the hot topic across the globe. And yeah. everybody's much more comfortable. Um, remdesivir now is available for treatment in people. It's fully approved. And we as veterinarians have the ability to prescribe human drugs under a, a law called AMDUCA. And so in theory now, veterinarians could prescribe remdesivir. 
Mm-hmm. We've actually tried to get it here in our hospital. We've had our pharmacy working on getting it. And the problem we have now is there's just no veterinary distributors of it. And because it's an injectable drug, you can't like get it at your local pharmacy. But gotcha. it should be like we are not exactly in that same legal situation we were when the drug wasn't approved in the U.S. for people. Hey guys, I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of announcements over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. That's the other podcast I host on veterinary business with my wingman, Stephanie Goss. We were asked, uh, hey, how do you train people to be team players? If you'd like to hear that discussion, hear how we break it down and we get our heads around it and how we uh, help to bring people into an all-for-one, one-for-all mentality, check it out. It's free wherever you get your podcasts, Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Also, speaking of Uncharted, guys, the April conference is right around the corner. This is in person. This is coming together in Greenville, South Carolina, my hometown. It's our five-year anniversary. Guys, the Uncharted Veterinary Conferences are magic. They are unlike anything else. If you want to come and get re-energized and inspired, about what's possible, to enjoy your job again, to feel like that medicine has possibilities for you. If you want to feel like you're part of a community, if it would be good for you just to be around people who are optimistic and positive and who are kicking butt and who are trying new things and who see a bright future ahead and you're like, I just want to be around people who who see that and who think that, uh, this is the conference for you. Come and check it out. There's nothing like it. You will be glad that you did. Also, if you're like, I can't travel to Greenville, don't worry. We've got our last strategic planning workshop coming up. That is hosted by the one and only Stephanie Goss on March the 9th. It's a two-hour workshop. This is on key performance indicators and uh, dashboards. Do you have the numbers that you need where you can look at your practice and know how you're doing? Do you know what things are good and what things are lagging? Do you know what needs some, some bolt tightening? What needs a little bit of attention? Do you feel like you can look at your business on one computer sheet and say, yes, see how we're doing, and I understand where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are right now? If you don't, that's amazing. You need that. You deserve that. Come and help us teach you how to get it. March 9th, uh, two-hour workshop. Link in the show notes. It is our last strategic planning. It is Dashboards and KPIs with Stephanie Goss. Guys, let's get back into this episode. I had heard that the labeled, you know, um, uh, sort of pure, uh, legit uh, remdesivir maybe wasn't exactly the same as the the GS or the or the outcome clinical outcomes might be different between those those two medications. Can you comment on that? Is that true? Um, probably true because there was a variety of what was coming out of China unlabeled. So, you know, there was no way to know from batch to batch or company to company if they were the same drug. They -hmm. certainly were violating, um, intellectual property rules when they were doing this. So in some cases they don't care, they just copy it. In other cases they would tweak it a little bit so it would be different and they could sidestep that. There's also now oral medications that are similar and there's some other drugs that are similar. There actually is a, a drug called GC, which a company in the U.S. is putting through FDA trials and we might be available in a couple of years. But, you know, the cats that are sick now can't wait that long. Right. Um, there also was a, a, a batch of cats that died when they got um, fraudulent drug from China. Yeah, that's, so always, that's, that's always the that's nightmare. That's why we have an FDA is to, right. s- to prevent that. 
Yeah, no, and that that's the nightmare. We, um, so remdesivir is a uh, is a drug that's being used to treat COVID, correct? That's right. It was initially developed for Ebola and other viruses, and then when COVID came on the scene, they very quickly pivoted to testing it um, in human cases of COVID. And it does have some effect, but it didn't pan out to have the really strong effect that uh, was hoped for. And so this actually led to availability of the drug for cats. In Australia, they stockpiled remdesivir in hopes of you know, being prepared to treat a wave in people. And when it didn't work that well, they were kind of left with this big pile of drug with an expiration yeah. date. So they allowed veterinarians to use it. And that's when they practitioners in Australia just use it regularly and clinical trials have started. Is it wildly expensive? So we talked about the, um, you know, the importing it, very expensive, mm-hmm. but, but remdesivir, is it, is, it, is it an expensive drug in general? Yeah, in this country it is. So the folks that are buying drug from China are probably going to, for an adult cat, would probably spend a thousand or more dollars on, on drug. Um, for a kitten, it would be less. It has come down over time. Remdesivir would be two or three times as high right now at the prices that are charged for people. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, other countries, though, like Australia, remdesivir is much more affordable for veterinary patients. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Where um, do you think that that um, that as um, that as as this medication has been put forward for COVID, it's put forward for Ebola, is put forward for COVID. Now that it is out and it's out in other ways, do you think that there's a chance that we'll see this actually labeled for veterinary use at some point? Or do you think that that's probably just not going to come together? I don't think, I'm just guessing, but I yeah. wouldn't guess a company would want to spend the 5 to $10 million that it costs to get a drug labeled for veterinary use, especially since we can use human drugs if yeah. there's no veterinary drug available, which there is not. So I think they would probably just hope that veterinary distributors pick it up and sell it. Or okay. or in like in Australia, it's um, compounding companies. What do you think the main points of discussion on the FIP panels at the veterinary conferences are going to be? Is it mostly going to be about drug availability, about about uh, protecting veterinarians that recommend this? What, what do you think the main, uh, what are the main pain points or, or issues that are going to come up on these panels? Uh, that's a great question. What I'm hearing now mostly is veterinarians wanting very clear uh, instructions about what their lane is, like what can yes. they do, uh, number one, because they want to help. They're tired of euthanizing kittens. And they're, so they just want to know like what what guardrails should they be practicing in. Um, I think they are mostly happy with the advice that the FIP Warriors group is giving. I think most of us feel like they know more about this treatment than we do as veterinarians. And so we work closely with them. But I think veterinarians would like to learn more. There actually is a FIP Warriors Veterinarians group. So any veterinarian who wants to learn more can join a vets only Facebook group, which is really helpful because that's where vets advise each other and share their experience. And they don't have to worry about non-vets being in that group. Um, The other thing is uh, cost and availability for sure. Um, And because of the problems with injection, uh, it's, you know, people are doing injections, but it's not easy. And so I think vets would like to know more about other routes of of treatment, especially oral routes. Well, yeah, especially especially if it's a painful injection. Uh, yeah. the, that, that that's that's scary to me is uh, having a pet owner giving an injection at home. That's going that's going to burn. You know, to to a young, hopefully uh, strong. Uh, you know, uh, 
uh, a bright alert and responsive cat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a way around that would make a, would make a lot of sense. Where do you uh, if you when you gaze into your crystal ball, where do you think this goes in the next twelve to twenty four months? I'm really hoping that we get access to um, legi- legitimate drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that a pharmacy, uh, compounding pharmacy would be interested in doing whatever they need to do to make it cheaper and more available like uh, BOVA does in Australia and many other countries where this is being used, being used all across Europe and Asia. It's just North America. They <laughs> can't use it. So I'm, I think, I think that would be best is let's get legitimate drug available and then we can progress like we would with any fatal disease. That, that's amazing. Um, Julie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for answering my questions. This is this is super insightful and really, really helpful. Um, where can people learn more about the work that you do with uh, with Maddie's Fund? Uh, where can they learn more uh, in general uh, for people who are who are interested in in digesting this and, and processing? I, I got the there's an article I came across in the Atlantic uh, oh. that sort of touches on this, and I'll, I'll drop it into the show notes as well. But any any other resources that people should have? Yeah, there's um, that. That story in the Atlantic is actually like perfect because it's from a pet owner's point of view. Yeah. It talks about meeting somebody in a park, dark parking lot and, yeah. you know, <laughs> injecting her cat with something. She doesn't know what it is. Uh, and like it worked. And so that's good for her. But how, how odd that is. So I think that's a great story that people can relate to on all sides of this. Uh, there is an article that's now published uh, by actually one of the interns at UF. Um, when she was a vet student at Ohio, it is a summary of uh, hundreds of cats that were treated with these drugs obtained from China and demonstrating that how effective it is. So we'll make sure your re- your uh, viewers have access to that article that's peer-reviewed, so it's right. in the veterinary literature now. And then you can learn more about our shelter medicine program. We have a website at the veterinary school. It's Maddie's Shelter Medicine Program. Please look Perfect. us up. Uh, I will put links directly in the show notes down below. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Uh, Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you later on. Thanks, Andy. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I have to give a quick thanks here to Banfield, the Pet Hospital, for making transcripts of this podcast and the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast possible through their outreach on uh, equity and inclusion they decided that they would help us to get transcripts out and available so that everyone can enjoy the content that we make here and they can benefit from it. If you head over to drandyrourke.com, you can find transcripts for this and all of our current episodes coming out. And again, thank you to Banfield. They're doing it for the right reasons, and I am so proud to be able to do this to make our content accessible to everybody. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later.